Twas the night before earnings. This is Industry Focus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I am pleased to welcome back our foolish senior banking analyst, John Maxfield, to the show. So the big buzz in the banking sector right now is, you guessed it, earnings. Tomorrow, July 14th, earnings season will kick off for the U.S.'s biggest banks. Up first, we'll get a peek at Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan's performance over the last quarter. On Wednesday, we'll hear from Bank of America. And then Thursday, we get Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. But before we talk about any specifics, let's back up a little bit. John, I'm a long-term buy-and-hold investor. Why should I care about quarterly performance? Well, quarterly performance on on one's hand, you could say that it doesn't really matter, right? Because these are just snapshots. They're not like a dynamic show of what a business or a bank is doing, right? So you're just going to get little bits and pieces, basically four of these a year. So in that perspective, maybe you shouldn't care. However, these are benchmarks that you can kind of follow intermittently along the way to see how the companies that you invest in do. So it's just an update in terms of you know, what this bank is doing with your money. So, so from that perspective, it, it's very important. So then what metrics should investors be looking for besides just the obvious earnings? Well, you know, when it comes to banks, you know, you're going to want to look at the things that impact its, uh, its, its income statements. You're going to want to look at your revenue. Like how are their loan origination volumes going? Um, how is their M&A activity going when you're talking about the big universal banks that are based out of Wall Street? So you want to look at the top line. Then you're going to want to look at your loan loss provisions. How much are they setting aside for bad loans this quarter? How much they set aside last quarter? How much they set aside the quarter before that? You're going to want to look at their net interest income. This is how much money they earn from their asset portfolio. So banks make money, what, in principally one way. They borrow a whole bunch of money at cheap short-term interest rates from depositors and other type of warehouse lenders. And then they reinvest that money into interest-earning assets. And so in the money that comes out of that, the earnings that come out of that is called net interest income. So you're going to want to watch the direction of that. And that's going to be probably uh, still relatively low on a historical basis because interest rates, short-term interest rates are still so low. And then on the other side, you, you know, those, so those are on your income side. Then you also have non-interest income from fee-based services and stuff like that. And then on the other side of the balance sheet, you have your ex- or on the income statement, you have your expenses, right? And particularly your efficiency ratio, which shows how much it costs to raise every dollar of revenue. So if your efficiency ratio is 60%, that means it costs $0.60 cents to raise every $1 of revenue. So if you can look at both your earnings, right, and then you back it up to your, go through your revenue components, your non-interest income, your net interest income, and then you hit your expenses with both your operating expenses and your provisions for loan losses, and you watch the trend in those components, that's going to give you a pretty comprehensive view of how, how a bank is doing. So in terms of these trends, what do you think matters more, comparing these benchmark numbers to prior quarters or comparing them across the industry to competitors? Well, I think both actually matter quite a bit. I mean, on a prior quarter basis, it's important because every uh, investment that you make needs to be growing to justify the, the, that multiple on its stock. So it's important on, you know, on, on a growth basis. But in terms of picking stocks within an industry, it's important to look at different types of banks. So let's talk about you know, you know, Wells Fargo, say, versus Bank of America. You look at Wells Fargo, it's 
generates a ton of revenue relative to its assets. It keeps its expenses low, whereas Bank of America's expenses are really high. And because of all the things it's been going through since the financial crisis, it's struggled to get its revenue back up and going again. So what that leads to is a much higher return on investment for Wells Fargo than it does for Bank of America. And that's something that, that shareholders obviously need to know. Right. Makes sense. So looking at the broader industry, what sort of specific headwinds or tailwinds, uh, what, are, what are some of the key drivers to keep an eye on going into this earnings season? Well, I would say the biggest headwind right now are still interest rates. So if you look at, what, if, let's just go back for a second, and let's go back to the late 1970s and early 1980s. Short-term interest rates shot really, really high because we were dealing with, with double-digit inflation. And what that led banks to learn was that you can't just borrow at short, low short-term interest rates and then lend at, lo- at higher long-term interest rates because in that situation, you can get caught in what's called mismatch, right? where it's costing you more to borrow money than you're, you're generating on those investments from that money. So what they did is they started indexing all of their loans or the majority of their commercial loans that they keep on their books to short-term interest rates. So now it's just Libra plus 2.5% or Libra plus 3%. So you want a higher short-term interest rates to boost your income, to boost your revenue. So that's, that's one of the main tailwinds right now because since the financial crisis, interest rates have been, short-term interest rates have been effectively zero for all intents and purposes. So that's probably the biggest headwind that the industry is facing right now. But then in terms of tailwinds, we're probably going to see, because the markets seem to be calmer this quarter, we're probably going to see better trading revenue. We're probably going to see better M&A revenue. All those other things that a universal bank, but maybe not a regional bank, a community bank, is going to bring to the table, those things are probably going to be doing pretty well. How do you think the Greece situation is going to play in? Well, that's a great question. I mean, it it seems like they've come to some type of agreement, um, so that's, that's a positive thing. But where Greece would factor into U.S. bank earnings is probably in the volatility that it caused in the markets because most of U.S. banks have drawn down their, their direct exposure via either their operations, actually having operations in Greece, or by making loans or holding deposits to Greek citizens or corporations. Most of the banks that have reported over the past year have been saying, like, look, we're drawing this way down. So it's probably going to be in that trading revenue uh, where you're going to see the impacts of that would be my guess. And then the other thing that could be that, that Greece, the situation Greece could impact is the Federal Reserve's decision to keep interest rates low for, you know, still an indefinite period of time. Hmm. That's a really good point right there. So let's pivot a little bit to more specific individual banks. What bank do you think has the best chance of surprising people, either to the upside or to the downside? That's a great question. So it's been my thesis that Bank of America is probably in a position to, at some point, normalize its earnings. And where you, when you look at Bank of America today, it's earning, I mean, 3 4% on its, on its equity. When you want a bank to be earning <clears throat> anywhere from 12 to 15% on its equity, so it's way, way down. And it's down because both, you know, all the issues it's dealing with since the financial crisis, but in particular, the legal issues. I mean, it's, this has caused something like $90 billion for the write-offs on Bank of America's books over the last few years. So once these are through, Bank of America's earnings should clear up and normalize. And that, my guess is that that's going to happen relatively quickly once that upward trend begins. I could be totally wrong on that. But if you look back on Bank of America's experience in the 1980s when it went through a whole bunch of troubles, as soon as those troubles were over, I think it had three successive years of losses. 
But as soon as those losses were over, its earnings shot way up really, really quickly to new record highs. And not, not, not just record highs. I think it was earning something like, don't quote me on this, but I think it was around five to $600 million a year prior to its three successive years of losses. And then after that, I think maybe three to four years after those losses, they were earning $2.5 billion a year. So once that begins, it happens relatively quickly. So I would say that Bank of America, in terms of surprises, one of these days it's going to surprise us. Is it going to be this quarter? I have absolutely no idea, but it will be at some point. I'm sure their investors would very much like that, considering that they're down upwards of 5% year to date. So hopefully, if you're a Bank of America investor, you'll get some positive news this week. On the flip side of that, uh, who are we already expecting is going to just kill it this quarter? That's a, another good question. I don't, I don't necessarily expect any of, because of the low interest rates and the impact that that has on bank revenue, I don't necessarily expect any banks to quote unquote kill it. Now, it could be wrong, of course. You could have another stellar performance from Wells Fargo. So over the last 19 quarters, Wells Fargo has recorded record earnings in 18 of those quarters. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty remarkable, but the one quarter it missed was the most recent quarter. I mean, the most recent quarter before the one, before the one that they're reporting on this week. So the question is, will Wells Fargo report another quarter of declining uh, earnings because of uh, the impact of short-term interest rates? Or will it be able to use its 90 other businesses and its, its vast diversification to get, get on that upward track again? That's going to be the big question in terms of, in terms of Wells Fargo. But if you're going to look for a bank that's just going to have a, a stellar performance, that's probably the one you're going to want to look at, maybe U.S. Bank Corps. Um, and then, of course, J.P. Morgan Chase, which is a, a phenomenally run bank. Um, Jamie Dimon is probably one of a handful of the best bankers in the world right now. Um, and it has not only a really good consumer and commercial business side, banking side, but it also has a really good investment banking side as well. And, of course, we've talked about just how important that management team is to a bank. That's exactly right. I mean, and you can say what you want to say about J.P. Morgan Chase. They've gotten themselves in a lot of trouble over the past you know, maybe five or six years when you look at the, the, the allegations about the manipulation by their traders in energy markets, foreign exchange markets, interest rates markets, blah, 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 blah. But at the top of this bank is just a phenomenal, phenomenal banker. And he surrounded himself uh, with people of the same, the same pedigree. So I've got a fun question for you. It's a would you rather. Would you rather be a bank that's expected to post stellar earnings and fall just short of these anticipated numbers, or would you rather be expected to have a total flop of a quarter and actually exceed expectations slightly? Okay, so that's a great question. So I'm not a big fan of analyst expectations in terms of pegging the actual numbers, because there's, there's this theory right around earnings season that banks miss or beat expectations. Well, that's just absurd, right? When you think about it, it's the analysts' expectations that are inaccurate. <laughs> that are wrong, in this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this whole scenario. So I'm not a big expectations person, but let me tell you this. When, you find a, when you're looking for a bank stock to buy, okay, what you want is one that you can trust that will generate double-digit return on equities for many, many decades. Because that brings into the equation that compounding effect of compounding returns. And that is the way that you get your 1,000% returns, your 2,000% returns. Betting on a quarter-by-quarter -quarter basis whether a bank is going to beat or miss earnings expectations, even if you bet correctly and even if you leverage that up 
by using, say, you know, call, you know, various options like calls or puts, whatever you want to use that, that, that dramatically increase your leverage on a bet. Even if you do that and you bet correctly, you're still not going to get any, anywhere near the return that you're going to get if over time the, that the law of compounding returns plays a role in it. Yep, and that is our foolish mentality. You know, you want to buy the best banks and hold on to them forever. That's exactly right. And so, and this is something I've talked about a lot in articles in the past. When you're selecting a bank, because of this reason, you've got to look at it's the probability that it will not only survive through the next crisis, which could be 10 years or 20 years down the road. But again, if you want that law of compounding returns to kick in and give you those phenomenal returns, you've got you to factor that into the equation. So you've got to look at the banks that have done well in past crises as maybe a slight indicator of how they will do in a future crisis. Because look, if a bank has done well, has done really poorly in the past three crises, what's is that is that a better chance or a worse chance that they're going to do well in the next crisis? I would say that there's probably a pattern developing, so you're going to want to avoid that type of bank, but stick with your Wells Fargo's, your J.P. Morgan Chase's, your U.S. Bancor's, those that have shown time and time again that not only can they be profitable in good times, but they can survive and thrive through bad times as well. Yep, and hopefully this coming week will give us an opportunity to check in with some of these top performers and make sure that the investing thesis behind them is still just as much intact now as it was when we initially made our investments, or if we aren't in yet, give us a a good opportunity to get in. Uh, John, thanks so much for being here today. All we can do now is sit tight and wait for tomorrow morning, try to keep cool heads and invest capital F foolishly in banks that are these proven outperformers. Listeners, who are you keeping an eye on going into earnings season? Let us know at industryfocus at fool.com. We love hearing from you guys, answering your questions, just kind of hearing what's on your mind. Uh, Until next time, reports are coming out all week, so happy reading. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 